do this. Well, today we start our new series called Guardrails. For those that don't know what a guardrail is, uh, a guardrail is something that protects us or keeps us in the right lanes, yeah, when we're driving along the road. It's uh, designed to keep cars from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. And so a guardrail directs us and it protects us. And so the key thing about a guardrail is you'll probably find them in three places if you drive a car. The first place that you find guardrails in is on bridges. Yeah, why? Because we don't want to drive off the bridge and into the abyss. The other place that guardrails is, is, is on medium barriers. And the reason why we have them in place is, one, to stop cars from crossing the medium and crashing into you, and two, to stop you crossing over the medium and crashing into them. And then the third place that we find guardrails is usually on curves or on corners so that we don't you know, take a corner badly and end up going over the edge of a cliff and dying, basically. And so guardrails do two things. They direct us and they protect us. Guardrails, though, if you've noticed, they never place a guardrail in the danger zone. They always place guardrails a little bit into the safety zone because what they don't want you to do is they want, don't want you to drive so close to the edge that the guardrail becomes a pointless thing for you because you're just going to smash through it and go through. And so what they do is they put the guardrails a little bit inside the safety zone to stop you from driving too close to the edge and the guardrail is there to protect us. And even though the guardrail takes up some of the safe space that we have on the road, there's not a single person that really, unless you're weird, that argues with the guardrail being placed inside the safety zone. Why? Because we understand that guardrails are designed to minimize damage. It doesn't mean that if you hit a guardrail, there's not going to be damage, but hitting a guardrail is a lot better than having a hit-on accident at 100 kilometers an hour with someone. And so the guardrail minimizes damage because the damage would be hugely more if the guardrail wasn't there. Now, we understand that we need guardrails on roads, but roads aren't the only place that we need guardrails. We need guardrails as well in our lives because most of us would admit that our greatest regrets probably wouldn't have happened if we had some guardrails in place in our world, in our lives. You know, relational guardrails, you know, um, moral guardrails, financial guardrails. If we had some guardrails that we had put into our lives, most of us wouldn't have some of the regrets that we have from our past. But here's the thing, future regrets can also be avoided if you and I are willing to put in place some personal guardrails now. Now, here's the thing. The culture that we live in doesn't encourage guardrails. In fact, the culture that we live in doesn't encourage guardrails. It just has what I would call painted lines. It doesn't encourage you to have a guardrail. It just has painted lines or maybe some suggestions or some ideas. The culture that we live in actually doesn't like guardrails. It just has painted lines some ideas. So here's, here's an idea that's not a guardrail, but it's kind of a painted line that you would hear in our culture. Here's the first one. Drink responsibly. Now, 
Nobody actually really knows what that really means. It just says drink responsibly. But my question is this, at what point in the drinking process do you then become irresponsible? Because I've seen people are like, you know, I'm all right, I've only had one or two, but by the time they get to four, five, six, they're not drinking responsibly any longer. It's, it's actually not a guardrail, it's just a guideline, it's just a suggestion. Here's another one that we hear a lot, consolidate your debt. Now, this may not be bad advice, this might be good advice for you to consolidate your debt so that you can manage a lot better with the debt that you have, but it's actually not a guardrail because it doesn't keep you from debt. It's just a guideline to help you handle it. Or here's the worst one that I think that you'll ever hear. Listen to your heart. What does your heart say? That is not a guardrail. That is the worst piece of advice that somebody will ever give you because a lot of the time your heart's not functioning well because of stuff that you're going through and it's not going to tell you the right stuff. You see, our culture is resistant to guardrails because we don't like to be told no. None of us like to be told no or being told what we can do or what we can't do. And so culture doesn't actually encourage guardrails. But at the same time as culture not encouraging you to have guardrails, culture will be the first thing to mock you and shame you when we end up in a moral, financial, or relational ditch because we didn't have guardrails. Let, let me give you an example. Vice President Mike Pence in the US, just a wee while ago, it came out in the news in a story that he has this rule that he won't do uh, dinner with anybody, he won't travel with anyone other than his wife. So basically he's saying, I will not spend time with any other woman other than my wife or, or my daughters. I'll do dinner with them, but I won't eat with another woman. I won't travel with another woman. I won't meet with another woman alone. I won't even have a coffee with her. I just won't do that. I will only be alone with my wife. And here's the crazy thing. The media just mocked him for it. Absolutely just, you know, mocked him for it. Old school, you know, blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing, they mocked him for having a guardrail, but I can tell you now, if Mike Pence went and had an affair, they would shame him and mock him for having the affair. You see, culture doesn't encourage guardrails, but not only does it not encourage guardrails, when you fall over because you don't have guardrails, they will mock you and shame you for it. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But I can tell you this, that if you opt for guardrails, you may not be celebrated by the people around you. You may not be celebrated by the culture around us, but I promise you, you will live a life with far fewer regrets than what you've already lived. And the thing is, is that in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul actually gives us some good advice on how not to end up in a ditch in life. And it starts off in Ephesians 5.15, and it's going to we're going to go through the scripture together, and we're just going to go through it bit by bit so that we can understand what it is that he's really saying. And he says this in Ephesians 5.15, he says this, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Prior to him uh, saying this to them, he had just been telling them about all the dangers that there are out in the world, things that they need to look out for, 
And he's saying, therefore, be careful, very careful, then how you live. That word there, live, in some translations is written walk. It's basically the same words. It's be careful how you live, be careful how you walk. Now, when we had a smaller house, well, our first house was on a really small section, about 380 square meter section, and we had this beautiful Rottweiler dog. His name was Bronx. And I want to tell you, every time I went out into the backyard or the front yard, I learned how to walk carefully. Anybody that's ever had a dog understands that when you walk outside, that you need to walk carefully, yes? And this is what Paul is trying to say. This is the point that he's trying to make. He's basically saying you need to walk carefully in your life. You need to be careful then how you walk. You need to be careful then how you live. And he goes on, he says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what is he saying here? He's basically trying to show us and scripture teaches us that wisdom is actually better than right or wrong. Because sometimes we're not sure what right is or what wrong is. And when we don't know what is the right thing or the wrong thing, the question we usually always ask ourselves is what is the wise thing to do, yeah? What is the wise thing to do here is usually the question. Why? Because wisdom brings clarity, whereas right and wrong often doesn't. And so how do we make a wise choice? How I kind of process and make wise decisions, I think, I make wise decisions most of the time, is I ask myself these, this question, and I want to encourage you that you would do this with yourself, that I say this, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Let me say that again for you. In view of my past experiences, and my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? If you ask yourself those questions before you make decisions, you'll find that 99.9% of the time, you'll pick the wise thing to do. Notice that he doesn't say it's not what is the right thing to do, but what is the wise thing to do. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, let wisdom be your guiding thing. So be careful how you're walking, but make sure you're using wisdom. It's not about right and wrong. It's about what's the wise thing to do. And he goes on, he says this, not as unwise, but as wise, making most of every opportunity. That word opportunity there literally means redeeming the time. The thing about time is that it's an incredibly valuable asset to us because we actually don't know how much time we have and time is also limited. We only have so many hours in a day, so many hours in a week, a month, a year, and we only have so many days in our lives. And so he's saying you've got to make the most of every opportunity. In other words, be really, really careful with your time. Be careful with what you do with your time. I don't know about you, but I have a wish that I could actually go back in time and reuse some of the time 
you know, that time that I wasted, I'd like to unwaste it, if that makes sense. I'd like to get some of that time back and do some things differently. I'd like to go back and maybe redo the first year of my marriage now that I've got a clue 26 years later. Or redo the first few years of my income when I started working instead of spending it all on lunch every day and in movies in the weekends. You know, there are, there are things where I wish I could actually go back in time and redo those things. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, so be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise people, being careful of how you use your time. Why? Because time flies. Time disappears. And then he goes on in verse 15, and he says something a little bit weird, to be honest with you, but let's talk through it anyway. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Why, why do we have to be careful? Why do we have to be careful how we walk? Why do we have to make sure that wisdom is what we're using? Why do we have to make sure that we're not wasting our time, that we're redeeming our time, that we're making the most of every opportunity? The reason is, is because the days are evil. What, what does he mean that the days are evil? Well, in other words, what he's really saying is that we're, we're living in dangerous times. And you can't just go on walking around not paying attention to what is going on around you. You need to be careful how you walk because the days are evil. In other words, he's saying this, don't be careless. Don't be careless. You need to be smart. When I was younger, probably about 18 years of age, um, I kind of had some driving mishaps. Just, just one or two driving mishaps. Uh, I think in my first 12 months of driving, I think I had three accidents and I haven't had one since. But I had some driving mishaps and because of my driving mishaps, my dad told me, you're doing a defensive driving course. And so I did this defensive driving course, and not only does a defensive driving course teach you to watch the car that's in front of you, but it actually teaches you to watch the car that's 10 or 12 cars in front of you, because if they start braking, then you can start to respond earlier. And what defensive driving is all about, it's about not so much paying attention to what you're doing, Defensive driving is all about paying attention to what others are doing. And this is Paul's point here. He's saying, be careful how you live because you live in a dangerous environment. And if you're not careful, you may end up in a place that you don't want to end up in. You could end up in a ditch if you're not smart. I can remember when I started driving, and I can even remember when Madison started driving, I would do the same thing to her as my parents did to me. As she left the house, I would say, be careful. Now, she would respond to me the same way that I respond to my parents. Like, oh, I'm not going to have an accident, am I? You know, it's like, of course I'm going to be careful. Why are you even saying that? But then my parents would say back to me the very thing that I'd say back to Madison. It's not you I'm worried about. It's a classic saying of parents. It's the other drivers 
that I'm worried about. And, and, and this is what Paul is kind of saying here. He said the environment we live in and the culture that we're in there, it, it, it's, it's not simply enough to pay attention to what you're doing. In the world that we live in, it's not enough to just pay attention to what you're doing. You have to pay attention to what other people are doing. Pay attention to what other people are doing, what they are asking of you, what they are offering you, what they are saying to you. And this is what Paul is saying here. He says, be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We live in a world where, where we have to be very aware of the environment that's around us. And that's what guardrails do. They put some things in place. And he goes on and he says this in Ephesians 5, 17. He says, therefore, in other words, because I just said all of this, do not be foolish. In other words, don't approach life as if it's disconnected. Don't live your life as if tomorrow doesn't affect today doesn't affect your tomorrow. Don't live your life as if what you do today is not gonna have an effect on your future. Don't live your life just letting things happen because what you do has an effect either tomorrow or the next day or the next week or the next month. And he goes on and he says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What, what, what is he really saying here? I mean biggest question I get asked is, what is God's will for my life? This is not what Paul's actually saying here. He says, don't be foolish, but understand. And that word understand in the Greek, it it's, has this emphasis on it, whereas like he's saying, understand, understand. So it's almost like if he says, I want you to understand what God's will is, and then you ask the question, oh, what is God's will? And his response is, understand. It's not really helpful. It's not really telling me much. But I think what he's really saying here, if you look at it properly, is he's saying, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. You know what is going on in your world. You, you know your past. You know your weakness towards certain things. So be honest with yourself and face up to the right thing to do. Face up to what God's will is for your life. You know what you need to do now so that you'll end up doing what you should do later. He's kind of saying here, you've had a couple of near misses. You've had a couple of close calls. And Paul is saying, come on, let's be honest about ourselves. Let's understand what God's will is for our lives. Let's understand what, how God expects us to live. And let's be honest about where we're at. And let's face up to that. And then, and then he gives what I think is the best piece of advice ever because he's saying all of that and then the next thing he says is he's showing us that what he just said is true by showing us that one thing leads to another thing. It's, it's the one thing leads to another thing principle. And, and he puts it this way. He says, you know, really, he's saying that one thing leads to another thing, but if we understand that guardrails are the things that keep the one thing from leading to another thing. Are, are you with me? This is what he's saying. If you're, if you're smart, if you put some things in place, it'll stop that one thing leading to the next thing. And then he's now gonna show us how one thing leads to another thing. And he says this in Ephesians 5.18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to. 
You see, this here, do not get drunk, is a guardrail. Now, we have to understand that back in their day, if you drank water, you would probably die because they didn't have the filtration systems and everything that we have now. So if you drank water, you'd die. If you drank wine, you got drunk, but if you drank water, you'd die. So what they used to do is they used to mix the water and the wine together, and if you didn't get the ratio right and you got too much wine and not enough water, you would end up getting drunk. And so you have to understand where he's coming from when he's saying this, but he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to. And what he's saying here is, do not get drunk. This is a guardrail because a guardrail stops one thing from becoming the next thing. A guardrail stops one thing from becoming another thing. So let me put it this way. Let's take the word wine out of this. And let's just say it this way. Do not get drunk, which leads to, now, now you fill in the blank, do not get drunk which leads to, you, you fill in the blank, does anything come to mind when you hear that, do not get drunk which leads to, does anyone come to mind when you hear that, do you know somebody in your world that wishes that don't get drunk was a guardrail because of what it led to. Here's the thing, there are people listening today to this message whose lives would have been dramatically different if their mother or their father had the guardrail of don't get drunk. Not only would it have changed their lives, but it would have radically changed your life if they had the guardrail of don't get drunk and they stayed sober, their life would be different, but so would yours. See, the problem with getting drunk is what it leads to. Drunk is the guardrail. I'm not saying you can't have a glass of wine. I'm not saying you can't have a beer. I'm just trying to show you here that Scripture is saying don't get drunk because when you get drunk, it leads to something. It's a one thing that leads to another thing. Now, the problem of getting drunk is what it leads to. As I said, drunk is the guardrail. For some of you, I know drunk is probably the goal. Now, I'm just joking when I say that. But here's the thing. Some of you might have laughed just then in that moment. But being drunk can be funny right up to the point that a woman gets punched in the face. Or it can be funny right up until the point that that person crosses the medium barrier and hits someone head on and kills them. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? It's not so much funny then. Sometimes what has was a pastime can actually become a pathway for someone which leads them down a road of destruction. And I'm not picking on drinking. I'm just showing you that Paul is showing us a thing here. It says that one thing leads to another thing. And what we have to say to ourselves is we have to say to ourselves once again, because of my past experiences and because of what my father's past experiences or my mother's or my brother's or my uncle's or my auntie's or my friends or my next one or my boss's past experiences and my current circumstances 
and my future hopes and dreams of what I'm believing that God will do with my life, where does my guardrail need to be on this issue? Where does my guard, that's the wisdom, it's not right and wrong, it's the wisdom of where does my guardrail need to be on this issue? Based on my past experiences, my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams, where does it need to be? Because Paul tells us where it leads to. He says this, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, debauchery is a word that we don't really use that often, and some of you might be like, I don't even know what that means. I don't really know what it meant, to be honest with you. Um, so I looked it up a little bit, and debauchery basically means this. It means a sexual indulgence due to lack of self-control or loss of control. In, in fact, it really means this. It means that any kind of indulgence due to a lack of self-control or a loss of self-control. You see, it leads to your inability to have control, self-control, or you lose control. One thing leads to the next thing. So where does my guardrail need to be? Because guardrails safeguard us from handling over control of our lives to someone or something else. You see, when you go too far and you lose self-control and you lose control, you are now under the control of someone or something else. And what guardrails do, whether it be about drinking or whatever in life, what guardrails do is it allows you to stay in control and not lose control to someone else or something else. Guardrails will safeguard you. It will safeguard your kids. It will safeguard your wife or your husband. It will safeguard your friends. It will safeguard the people that you work with. They will safeguard you from handing over the control of your life to someone or something else. Paul says in Corinthians, do not be mastered by anything. And I've always said nothing should be, you shouldn't be mastered by anything. Nothing should master your life. Nothing should have that kind of control over your world. And what guardrails do is they ensure that in your future you are not mastered by anyone or anything. And then Paul goes on and he, and he basically shifts a little bit of, of a shift here where he tells us, he's basically saying to us, don't be mastered by anyone or anything. Don't be controlled by anyone or anything. Don't do any of this because it leads to this where you lose control. He then turns around and says who we should have control. And he says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Instead of giving over control of your life to anyone or anything, he's saying here, submit your life to the nudging and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us, which taps on our conscience. He, he, he doesn't yell and scream and have a patty like your kids do. He taps. He taps on your conscience. You're, you're about to look at something that you shouldn't look at, and you get this, uh-uh-uh-uh. Or you're about to flick off that email that you probably shouldn't send off, and you get this, 
uh, 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 on the inside of you, or you're about to um, go left rather than going straight, and you just get that, uh, 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 that's the Holy Spirit tapping on your conscience. And so Paul is saying here, through those two verses, he's saying, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying you need to have some guardrails in place to make sure that you stay in the safe zone and that you don't end up in a ditch somewhere. And here's the thing, nobody plans to wreck their life just like nobody plans to wreck their car. The problem is with you and I is we just don't plan not to. We just don't plan not to. Guardrails are how we plan not to. Guardrails are how we set ourselves up to walk wisely and carefully. In essence, guardrails are defensive living, a little bit like my defensive driving course. Guardrails are defensive living. It's this ability to watch what's in front of us and five or six cars in front of us. It's defensive living. And you might be like, well, Craig, I'll be really, really careful. Yeah, but guardrails are how you be careful. If you don't have guardrails in place, then you're going to get close to the edge. Why? Because guardrails direct and protect. And you'll find it so much easier to know what God's will is when you have guardrails in place to direct you and protect you. Why? Why is it so important to have guardrails? For this reason. When you're stepping away from what can harm you is a step towards the one who loves you. Guardrails are put in place because in stepping away from the things that harm you, you're stepping towards the one who loves you. And I want you to understand something about this series that we're doing guardrails. This is not a series about becoming better people. This is actually a series about becoming more surrendered people. This is not a series about you becoming a better person. This is a series about you becoming a surrendered person to the one who loves you and sent his son to die on the cross for you. 